So I'm glad you guys weren't here super early because you would have heard Rick and I doing some duets, show tunes and such. Anytime you get a microphone in my hand, it's hard not to have to fight the urge. Um, He and I have traveled a lot internationally. He just got back. And uh, I tell him, I said, there's a show tune for every situation. So, you know, there's, there's always an opportunity for song. So that would not bless you all. So... Hey, um, we are really glad that you guys are here week five, actually week four and five, because we, you know, had to cancel the last session because of the weather. So we got six hours tonight, right? So double up? No, sorry. Just kidding. We're going to uh, actually move pretty quickly because we're going to try to cram weeks four and five together. So you guys keep coming in, get caffeinated, water, hydrated, and, uh, and nutrated. With the snacks. So um, anyway, I'm, so I'm Jeff Ward again. So I got to be with you guys last time. Was, uh, who all was here for the last, who was not here for the last class? Okay, 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 a few folks. Okay, good. So there's a uh, sheep, goats. No, I'm kidding. Um, we, uh, we spent a lot of time last week talking about when helping hurts principles. Also, the um, just God's heart for the poor. We talked through scripture around that and a biblical framework for how we respond to poverty particularly. And so, but before we move into all that, a um, couple quick things. So Benson was going to be teaching week four, who is over our mobilization, and he was going to talk to you about some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about tonight. But uh, the weather blew us out, and then he decided to go to Hawaii, where it's nice and warm. So I thought about Skyping him in and having him, but that wouldn't have blessed him. Uh, anyway, but let's, let's start with prayer and then we'll move forward. So Lord God, I just thank you for this night. I thank you for these folks here. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity just to come together and, um, again, just talk about the ways that your church, um, is geared, equipped, supplied to really make an impact in our community here um, in Dallas and around the world. And, um, Lord, just the way your church, the body of Christ, the folks in this room who make up the church are just, um, being hands and feet of you, as we heard on Sunday. So uh, help us to finish strong. Help us to bring glory and honor to you even in this time that we have. And then as we think about next steps moving forward. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Very good. So before we start in on the content, let me just ask. Keep coming in. Hey, guys. Welcome. Um, From the reading that you've done in the When Helping Hurts over the last couple of weeks um, and or the scripture passages um, and let me ask you this, the folks who weren't here last week, did y'all get an attachment on an email with the slides from last week with the passages and stuff? Good. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, so any of those verses, one of the homework assignments was to just spend some time, burning some quiet time going through some of those yourselves. I'm just meditating on what those passages mean, internalizing, seeing how God might stir your heart. So just open it up for a few, if there's some two or three key thoughts or insights from the reading or the homework or anything that God's laying on your heart, love to just hear those before we jump in. Anything? I'm okay with long pauses. Was that a hand? Go ahead. Shout it out. Oh, go ahead. You, no? All right, that was awkward, so. <laughs> Nothing? Yes, yes, ma'am. I really appreciated in the book where it talks about work being an act of worship. 
And it says, when people seek to fulfill their callings by glorifying God in their work, praising him for their gifts and abilities, and seeing both their efforts and its product as an offering to him, then work is an act of worship to God. That's a great quote. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight because a lot of what Rick and I get to do is meet with folks who are thinking even about uh, really just how to use work as worship and business as missions. And, you know, uh, Billy Graham had a great quote. I believe it was Billy Graham who said, hey, what medical missionaries were to the last 50 years for the body of Christ, marketplace folks and business folks are going to be for the next 50. And so we're already seeing that. And so fun, some of the fun that we get to do is talk to business leaders, um, marketplace folks, teachers, educators, all kinds of folks, just about how they are advancing the kingdom in the context of their work. That doesn't mean vocational ministry, right? I mean, you are in ministry wherever God's got you. And so how do you view that? And part of the problem, I think, is that we've often, you know, um, told those folks that really that just means evangelism in the workplace. And that's true. Sharing your faith, the hope that is in you is so key. But also, though, how can God use those gifts, those passions, you know, those, um, the energy that he's giving you around what you do during the week to really advance his kingdom? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So that's a great passage. Thanks for bringing that up. Anything else? All right. We'll jump in. So tonight, we're going to get real practical. Last week, uh, or I'm going to keep saying last week, just bear with me. The week before last, the last session, um, we did a lot of sort of the theoretical in terms of uh, we, we went through kind of God's heart for the poor. We tracked through those passages in Scripture. Uh, and then we spent some time talking about the When Helping Hurts principles, a few key principles. We're going to hit those again tonight in, in summary fashion. But we talked a lot about development and a lot about how all that we do in outreach should be relational and discipleship-centric. So um, we're going to put some meat on the bones, and we want to talk a little bit about how Watermark is trying to incorporate those principles and some other core values tonight. We'll talk about that. And then Rick is going to come up and spend um, more time with you guys just figuring out what does this mean for you moving forward. And so that's, you probably got the handout for your personal action plan. Rick will talk you through a couple of more slides and then some of that. So we'll do that. Um, and then we'll break. And um, it's been a really fun four sessions with you guys, three sessions so far. Another one tonight. I hope you guys have enjoyed the class and you've been a little bit of our guinea pigs as we've kind of figured out you know, different tacks that we want to take. So with that, I'm going to tell you a funny quick story. So I was doing um, some research for a presentation for a conference, and they wanted to know particularly about what we were doing around work uh, in terms of employment and stuff like that. And so anyway, I was talking about our old models of outreach, some of what we talked about last time, you know, with the turkey dinners and toy baskets and just the way we sometimes drop material goods you know, on people that we don't really have a relationship with, and we call that outreach, and that was kind of the model I grew up with. And so, anyway, so I was trying to do a slide for old models, and here's the advice. Don't Google old models. Um, it's, not, it's not good. Not good. So I learned some things how I do research. But uh, anyway, old models, and then we talked about new models, but, um, you know, Loving God and loving others and making disciples is really just our core mission, right? As believers of Christ and as his church, uh, you know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? In summary fashion, he said, man, we love God, all your heart, soul, your mind, and love others as yourself. All the law and prophets hinge on those, those two commands together. And then later, as you know, he said, uh, go forth and make disciples. Um, 
And so that's a great command, a great commission. So that's our job as a church. Now, what we did in terms of outreach, um, we sort of said within that framework, what do we feel like God's calling us to do? And what are we supposed to do here with, with our, the body? And so we came up with, I'm not good with long, lengthy mission statements. In fact, it's really funny because if you talk to people and you go, hey, what's your mission statement? Like some of these organizations, they'll go, oh, we want to, you know, it's like this long paragraph. And I'm just not good with that. And so I said, I need some short key statements. So we got away, a group of us, a number of years ago. And um, I said, I just need three short statements that I can remember, three legs of a stool. And so this is what we came up with. The first one is, as we do outreach and as we think about ministering to the poor or anybody in our community, we want to bring glory to God, right? Matthew 5, 16 says, so let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, We want to mobilize the body. That's you because you are the church. It's not a paid staff doing outreach. It's the body of Christ um, reaching its community. And we believe everything that's needed for community transformation in the city of Dallas um, is sitting right here, right here in our body, in the pews of our church. We often call it an army, not an audience. God's provided all the puzzle pieces. It's just a matter of people stepping out and doing um, what God's called them to do. So we want to mobilize the body. We're God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Thirdly, transform the community. Um, and this is really where we want to be uh, wise. We want to be um, considerate, considering you know, how we impact the community. And so um, even as we talked about Psalm 41.1, you know, blessed is the man who considers the poor. And just that, that word meaning, hey, we want to apply all of our mental faculty, energy, you know, passion, the same sort of diligence we apply in the, in the marketplace, in the business world, um, also to how we engage our neighbors here. So transforming our community. And that means impact, not just activity. We'll talk more about that. Okay, so this is what we did. So we get asked a lot kind of how we came up with our impact areas and some other stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. And this is what we did. Um, We got away and we had some whiteboards like what's behind this screen right here. And we just said, first of all, what is our biblical mandate as the church? And so a lot of what we did the last time we were together, remember how we talked through Isaiah 58? We went all the way through that passage and we just talked that through. We did that sort of comprehensively. We went through passages like Isaiah 58, like Micah 6, 8, like 1 John um, 4, and we, 1 John three seventeen, and we did, um, you know, just all the key passages that you guys know that talk about how we engage, and we sort of listed those out, our biblical mandate. Um, and then we looked at the city's needs and also the city's assets in terms of just, hey, what were the needs across the board? We, we pulled everybody from the mayor's office on down to folks on the street and ministry partners that we were serving. We came up with about 30-plus needs, you know, everything from early childhood, you know, literacy to um, prison, you know, prison reform. And so we listed those all out, and that was pretty overwhelming, you know, because there was a lot there. And then also just what were some things that the city was looking to build on. And then lastly, we just knew we, were, we weren't called to do everything, just as you're not called to do everything, but we knew we were called to do something. And so how, how had God uniquely gifted and resourced the folks that he had brought to Watermark to tackle some of these things? And so we kind of listed those out, where we felt like we were already strong and where God was bringing people and energy and momentum here. And so we did, what we did is we just aimed for the sweet spot there. And, um, and we'll talk more about the result of that process, which is the impact areas and some of the stuff that you see in your handout there we'll talk about in a little bit. But here's the other thing that was going on around that same time. So we were trying to come up with 
you know, our core values. And because as you guys know, there's a lot of opportunities across the city of Dallas. In fact, how many of you guys were here on Sunday when JP preached? Most of you? Um, it was a phenomenal message. If you didn't hear it, download it. Um, because he, we got to work with him in the preparation of that sermon. He talked about um, being modern-day Samaritans and used that passage and talked that through. And, um, and one of the things that we really wrestled with was what are the core values that are going to be the filter by which we look at how we, uh, the opportunities that come our way. And I think one of the things I mentioned to you guys is here in Dallas, we've got 25,000-plus um, nonprofits that are working and so we've got a lot of opportunities that, you know, knocks on the door and such. And so we needed a good filter for how do we filter what we're all about. And so I wanted to talk you through some of the core values because these are going to sound familiar to, me, to you as you've read When Helping Hurts and as we've gone through this material. But the first one was always is all about the good news and good works. And here's the thing, too. I think I might have mentioned this maybe in week one, but um, we were coming up with these core values and we were part of this breakout session with... Some business folks, in fact, we were the only church there. It was kind of an education roundtable. And um, this VP from Fossil, the, the company that makes the watches and the, and the fashion stuff, and so he's kind of leading this breakout, and he goes, hey, what are your core values? And so I clicked through some of these things that I'm going to tell you guys about tonight, and then everybody kind of went around the table for their organizations and did this. And then he says, all right, now I'm going to go back around, and I want everybody to tell me how you have institutionalized or systematized those core values. Because if you haven't, they're just sentiments, right? Like if you're not actively using these core values and, you know, uh, and filtering opportunities and doing those things, then they're just sentiments. And that really struck me. And I was like, okay, we've got to figure out, I mean, these are our core values. We kind of loosely subjectively apply them, but how can we, again, think about a structure? So we did that. Um, And as we talked about last time, we never, ever want to separate the gospel from what we're doing. We're not the Rotary Club. Right? We're the church. And so Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4 talks about the church as being God's instrument for transformation. Christ is the head of the church, the church being the vehicle by which, again, if you believe poverty is broken relationships and it's all about restoration, reconciliation, all the things that we've been talking about, there's no better institution than the church of Christ, right, led by the Holy Spirit as um, ministers of reconciliation, we are even called. And so um, those are two wings of the airplane. And so there are many opportunities across this city to do good works, but not always the opportunity to share the why behind what what we're doing. So if we can't share the gospel effectively, then we'll look for another place or another opportunity. Um, That's key. We want to be gospel-centric and discipleship-based. Okay. Let's see if I can get my clicker. Sorry. Okay. Equip the saints. So Ephesians 2.10, we talked about this last time. So you have a ministry that God's given you. We are firmly entrenched in the belief that God's given you a ministry to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that he has prepared good deeds for you to do even before the foundation of the earth. He had a mission for you to accomplish here on earth. And this was really revolutionary to me because for so much of my life, I knew Ephesians 2.8 and 9. So by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Um, but I really didn't know what to do after that. And so the next verse, if I had I kept re- reading or had somebody sort of walk me through, Ephesians 2.10 is all about, hey, what are we to do now? We're not just marking time. You know, we're living in that gap between the already, not then, right? Or, the all, you know, Christ has come, but he hasn't returned. You know, man has fallen in sin. We're not, we're not incorruptible yet. And so we live in this zone, and as Christ taught us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven— 
we're to be working while we're waiting, right? And so, anyway, um, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 was key for us, too, because it's all about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so um, our role as staff people are equippers. And so when, when I was hired, when Rick was hired, you know, our job was not to do ministry. Our job was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that's our role. And a lot of what we do is sort of breaking down that little bit of that mental barrier that folks still have that, hey, it's really the paid staff at the church that kind of do these, the ministry, you know. And so we give them the ideas, they execute on it, and then we might come behind that and serve and be volunteers. No, 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 no. In fact, we, we have a little bit of a, of, a, of a funny joke. I heard it again today. I was down at Mercy Street, and they were like, are, y'all, are, you, are you about to do, like, watermark judo on me? Because, you know, like, if we have a good idea, you're going to turn it back around and say, well, we need to execute on it. I go, yeah, that's how we roll. You know, so if you come to us with a great idea, we're going to go, great, execute on that, and we'll help you. Um, and so anyway, I saw this, this ad from Home Depot a number of years ago, and I love this slogan. It said, you can do it, we can help. And, like, that is what we do. And I think... Um, for so long, the church has been, we'll do it, and maybe we'll get you to help us, right? And so it is all about empowering the body of Christ to be the, the hands and feet of Christ and to do phenomenal things. We'll talk about some of those. Um, I love that JP focused on Christy Lichtenberg and Cornerstone Academy in South Dallas and what she's doing down there. And there's a host of hundreds of other stories that we could tell you about of just God's people getting after it. It's fun to see the Leggetts right here, too. I tell you stories about them. Um, but anyway, that's a great slogan. And um, so there is nothing that we do that's outreach-wise that is staff-centric. So all the stuff that you see on your handout, the partners that we're going to talk about, all those sorts of things are done through people like you, through lay leaders that have raised their hand and said, we will be the champion and we'll be the steward of people that you send and we'll connect people to the ministry. So, um, yeah. so our job is to deploy and shepherd hearts because we are not simply slotting bodies into volunteer opportunities. And that's something that um, we hear a lot, you know, even from these well-meaning organizations, is why don't you just let us advertise our openings and our volunteer needs to your body and then let people directly connect with us And we're, we're because we're not eHarmony. Like, we're, we don't just slot people, you know, you know together. We want to shepherd hearts. That's what the church's role is. And so we want to be sure that we work through our lay leaders and so that they're asking you the questions. So if you want to mentor at Mercy Street, you know, Ken Dawkins is going to call you up and he's going to say, hey, why do you want to mentor? Tell me a little bit more about that. Where are you spiritually? You know, and so we do our vetting process and our discipleship process on this end so that we can serve our community and our ministry partners well by giving them great people and then um, who can disciple and shepherd others. So that's what we do. Um, Here's one thing. um, When you brought up the deal about workplace ministry, one of the things we've learned is that um, the ch- we've really missed it in a lot of ways early on, and the church really has too, in terms of really deploying people in your gift mix, right? And so when I was practicing law, I was always looking for ways as a lawyer to advance the kingdom using legal skills, and those, those were opportunities were really hard to find all the time. And so uh, a quick, quick story, um, but I was down at uh, West Dallas, we were doing a field day for our, our school partner down there. And um, as I try to do, I tried to get around and meet some of the new faces, the watermark faces. And there was a guy over at the snow cone machine. And he was um, 
running the snow cone machine. And if you've ever run our snow cone machines at Watermark, you know they're like from the 1960s. So they don't have any like, you know, the, they don't have all the fancy guards on them and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm just always really leery. Like, I want to know who that person is and make sure that they know how to operate the machine. So anyway, I was over there talking to this guy and I, and I just say, I introduced myself. I said, hey, when you're not serving snow cones, you know, what do you do for a living? And he said, oh, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a physician. And I said, oh, I said, you're a doctor. I said, okay. I said, do you have a specialty? You know, and he goes, surgery. I said, wow. I said, you're a surgeon. Okay. And uh, I go, do you have a subspecialty within surgery? And he said, neuro. And I said, wait, hold on a minute. You're a neurosurgeon. You know, okay, first of all, get your fingers away from those spinning blades. And I said, and second of all, we just had a great conversation around you know, just his gift mix and his passion and, and you know, what he, what he did, you know, I said, man, I'm sure the investment was huge to go to medical school and do what you do. And I love that you're down here serving snow cones. And I hope this is a great outlet for you. That's something that you don't normally get to do, but know that we can deploy your gift mix in other places too, to really, you know, in kingdom advancing ways. And so I think it kind of dawned on me that at that point that sometimes we, we, what we offer is not always what um, is inside somebody's gift mix. And so we want to be real careful about that. And secondly, I think the church has sort of made the mistake of just going to folks, you know, uh, who are high capacity in terms of what they're doing and things like that and just saying, hey, we just want you to contribute money towards some of the things that are going on. And so I think we missed it there, too, because God, he's got plenty of resources. It's never a resource question, but it's always a heart question. And so we want to capture hearts around what God is already doing in the community. And so, you know, many times we'll say, hey, we don't want your money for this particular initiative. We want you to come down and see what's going on in South Dallas or West Dallas or at the clinic or, you know, some of the other places because that's what it's all about. And then hopefully the money will follow because your heart will be captured. But all that to say, we don't have a missions committee. You know, we get a lot of emails. We got one today from an international organization going, hey, we want to meet with your missions committee. And we're like, great, that's all of us. So you guys are our missions committee. We don't have a back room, smoky room, you know, full of men around a table that decide where we go and invest internationally or locally. Um, we follow you, the body of Christ, where God is leading you to support, encourage, equip, train, coach, uh, and bring along resources. And so anyway, um, you are a missions committee. And everything that we do, whether Plano, Fort Worth, here, internationally is lay-led, lay-driven. Okay. I keep putting this clicker in my pocket. Sorry. Um, We are a group here at Watermark of what I would say missional entrepreneurs. And so um, and Rick's going to talk to you in a little bit about your next steps because you guys are missional entrepreneurs since you're here at this class, especially week five. Um, And so we get a lot of folks who come to us, and, and this might be you after you work through your action plan and all those things, who go, hey, I've got this ministry idea. And so the best analogy as we've, coached folks like that, and we're putting together some really cool resources that hopefully will even spur and encourage people further, because most of the ministry partners, not most, a big group of those ministry partners that you see on that sheet have been, are, have been birthed out of Watermark folks, out of groups like this from people like you, who have now, you know, jumped all in, they saw a need, they had a holy discontent, they would lay their head down at night with a burden for a particular area of town or a particular um, affinity in terms of a cause or a need, and they decided to get after it. And so that's looked differently for each of those. But the best analogy I can think of is building a ministry is like building a fire. And so um, as you think about your next steps, um, think this analogy might be helpful. Or you might have a better one, which I'd love to hear. 
But this is, this is kind of the process that we take people through. One is we clear a space. And so as you think about ministry, um, a lot of people will have great ideas, but they don't have great amount of time. And so a lot of it involves making margin. You know, uh, Peter Drucker, who is this world-famous business consultant, used to do these business seminars. And he would bring these guys in, and he'd talk about all these, you know, techniques and leadership development and all these sorts of things. And at the end of the seminar, he would have people get out a sheet of paper like you guys have. And he'd say, okay, write down the two or three things that you're going to go back and implement, you know, after this seminar. And then they give him some time to do that. And then he would say, okay, now flip the sheet over. And now I want you to write the things that are coming off the plate to enable you to do those things. And so, you know, we just remind people that man, ministry takes time because it's all about relationship. And so, you know, clearing a space means clearing margin and Clearing your calendar and making time and figuring out, you know, if you're in your work life, in the phase that you're in, if you're able to really launch a ministry. Um, Recruit some help uh, and do some research. And so this is where we would just take you through a process of gathering other like-minded folks. And so it starts with your community group, you know, who can do a lot with the heart issues in terms of just asking you, hey, what's the motivation behind who are you trying to reach? That's a great um, filtering process for the why behind what you want to do. But then talk to your local organizations, other organizations with a, a similar vision. Because again, we have a whole host of nonprofits around the city. And so a lot of what I'm doing is just as I talk to people with ideas, I'm like, did you know about Organization X or Y who have a similar vision? They're doing similar things. And we don't want to duplicate efforts. You know, maybe there's ways that we can come alongside and add a component or do something. But a lot of that is just, again, recruiting help and doing some research, talking to elected officials, nonprofits, workforce commission. You know, it just depends on, on what, you're, what you're dealing with. Gather some twigs. So this is where you've got, you have some meetings. You get a whiteboard. You start kind of getting together, you know, the right people, what I would say. That might be folks in your community or it might just be, you know, folks that have the skill sets that you're interested in. Um, and I call this building a little bit of a directional team around you, like a little bit of your, not your ultimate board if you're going to become a nonprofit, but just folks that you know that have uh, caught your passion that have the right skill sets. And so um, one of the things we even did for the clinic uh, when we were launching that about a year ago was we just pulled together social work people, ministry folks, pastoral care folks, uh, obviously medical professionals, construction, architect people, uh, and we just put them in a big room and we said, hey, here's the vision for the clinic. We want to provide excellent medical care. And we want to do holistic pastoral care, evangelism, discipleship. Now, we're calling you guys the launch team. You guys help us think, right, because we want to consider, you know, all the angles. And so it was like putting kids in a sandbox. You know, they were like using their gifts and their skills. And they were there, you know, for hours and hours beyond what we had asked them because they got really excited. And so that's what you do. You gather twigs and you sort of build this team. You light a match. No paralysis by analysis here. You want to be deliberate about, you know, what you're doing, but then at some point you just launch and you do a little beta test and you try it. And so uh, my wife is involved actually with a few other ladies and, uh, who are mentoring kids in West Dallas, and they're kind of doing some, some training around, um, you know, um, just um, making eye contact, social skills, emotional intelligence kind of stuff, and they're just trying it with a few kids and a few other mentors just kind of to see what, what happens. And so pilot it or beta test. Don't feel like it has to be perfect. You know, ministry is never um, perfect, um, but you just got to get moving. Um, add some logs. And so this is where, you know, you start beginning to add some kindling and some larger sticks. You get some points on the board, you know, uh, a few stories to share. You kind of prove your concept. It's kind of what we talk about a lot. 
Um, but, um, and then you might need to take some logs off. So things that aren't working, you pull off. So one of the th- things, JP shared a little bit about Faith at Work on Sunday, but one of the things we've been beta testing, piloting, is this Faith at Work program. And we've, you know, in the year or so, we've been kind of beta testing it. We've learned a lot. And so we've backed up and decided, well, we learned that, so let's try this and let's pull that back and try that. And so, you know, uh, I think I even mentioned to you guys one of the mistakes I made was with one of the guys I was sponsoring through. He was formerly incarcerated, and I got him a job in Plano. Well, I didn't know that he wasn't supposed to leave the county, you know, and so like his, you know, he came back to me. He goes, man, I can't work there. You know, it's a great job, but the probation officer says I'm in violation if I work up there. So, Okay, Whew. good to know that. So step back and we'll try something new. So that's just kind of a process of where you're learning as you go. Control the blaze. So uh, things can move swiftly, especially here at Watermark. And so, uh, you know, you just want to monitor kind of where you are. And you might have to blow on that fire and get it going, add some energy, make adjustments. It might be kind of blazing out of control too fast. That happens sometimes. Things blow up. And um, one of the great examples is Second Saturday. How many of you guys participate in Second Saturday? probably most people. Um, and so Todd Fields, you know, when he launched Second Saturday, you know, about six years ago, it was five guys swinging hammers in West Dallas, and we'd connected them with, you know, some friends over there. And then all of a sudden, he had 150 people show up, you know, and it was like, man, what do I do with that? So we have to back up and make sure we're, we're not compromising the mission, the vision, the values, and so figure out how to scale while we're being true to the mission that God's called us to do. So, hey, the last thing I'd say, um, put it on paper, so there's so many great ideas that float around, but people, uh, I, I just, the best way I can coach them is to put stuff on paper, like a business plan. doesn't have to be a full-blown business plan, but there is some magic that happens when the pen touches the paper and you have to think things out and like clarify and put them on paper. And so I just can't explain it, but it happens. And so put it on paper. I'm working with a guy right now who has got an amazing mission or a, amazing vision around um, exercise, wellness, um, and health, and just putting a theology around that. You know, so much of the, you know, it's a, it's a hot topic right now, but so much of it is based on body image, you know, and just things like that. And he's like, hey, there's a theology. Like, we're stewarding our body, just like we're stewarding our resources. And so when we think about our body as something to be stewarded, then we don't make decisions based on whether something's going to make me fat or make me look skinny or whatever. You're going to start basing decisions on, hey, is this going to enhance my ability to be a minister of God today and some things like that. But anyway, the point of that story is just to say that, you know, for a long time I've said to him, hey, put some thoughts on paper. And so that finally came in, and it's been amazing just that process of clarity that happens as that, as that occurs. So anyway, that's how we kind of coach these things through. We spent a lot of time last time talking about relationship and discipleship. Uh, this is a core to all that we do and core to what you should be doing as you engage and approach people um, who are materially poor um, because there's always other issues going on. And so we want to be sure that we've got a relationship that, so we, we can provide wisdom. One of the stories I heard yesterday, I was visiting with a friend of mine who's at a church and they do the, they pass the plate. They were just uh, enthralled that we don't pass a plate at watermark and, um, and they said, yeah, not only do we pass the plate, but we say, hey, if you, if you have a need, you know, like if you, you're behind on a rent payment or whatever, just go ahead and take money out of the plate. I was like, man, you know, um, I was like, I don't know if that plate would make it back with anything in it. But, you know, but here again, like, I mean, they were so excited, you know, because it was, it, it feels right. Like, right? Like, it feels right. Like, it's God's money and there's people in need. But, again, if you remember the Bob Lupton quote, you know, sometimes charity can be the kindest way to kill people. 
You know, if we're not in relationship and we really understand what's going on, are we just putting a Band-Aid over that by letting them take 10 or 20 bucks out of the, out of the offering plate? And so we had a really great conversation about building relationship, and that's what we do uh, everything. If you're around here at all, you know that we believe that transformation happens in the context of relationship. Community, relationship, and we look for ways to um, do that in a discipling relationship. That's what we look for on the community side. That's what we look for on the serving, serving side. Um, and, if you, and as you know from reading When Helping Hurts, and as we've talked if poverty is, again, about broken relationships, it's all about relationship. So that's how we know how to intervene. Okay, development. Again, we spent probably 10 minutes talking about development during the last session. Core to what we're doing, and the key part of that Lupton quote there was the key to effective service is accurately matching the need with the appropriate intervention. You can only do that in the context of relationship and look for ways to develop somebody and not just put a Band-Aid on what's going on. And so um, we talked about development, and we talked about paternalism, right? All the different types of paternalism. Who can shout out a basic definition of paternalism? Yeah, go ahead. Yep, that's that's a great. That's one of the one of the five different or six different ways that we do paternalism. But paternalism is doing for others what they've got a capacity to do for themselves, right? And so, when that happens, we think we're giving, but actually we're taking. We're taking dignity. We're taking value. We're taking inherent worth as image bearers of God when we just hand somebody something. Uh, and that might even be in the context of a relationship where they're asking you for that and they think that they need that, but that's not really what they need. Um, and so that might not be the loving thing in that moment. And so paternalism, again, so if there's three words that we think about often, it's development, how are we empowering people, freeing them again you know, to be all that God intended, um, and then not doing for them what they can do for themselves, and then looking for a relationship. Okay. We talked also a little bit, I don't think as much, about measuring activity versus impact. This has been new for us. Um, You know, it's really easy to talk about how many volunteers come to our thing or how many folks we're serving in the homeless kitchen in South Dallas on a given Saturday. We run one of the feedings on a Saturday. It's really easy to go, man, we serve 300 people. You know, but it's a whole other set of questions when you start asking, how have we really impacted lives? And that takes a whole other set of questions. It becomes a lot messier in terms of just the relationships that we're building and what we're doing. And so we have really been intentional lately. We're not perfect yet, you know, and never will be. But just thinking about impact over activity. Even today, we were down at Mercy Street talking about not just the number of kids that we're mentoring, but how we're really impacting lives. Um, And so we have to ask, what kind of outcomes are we really looking for? Okay. Again, we're, we're talking pragmatics now, how this stuff works Our city needs the church. As you guys know, we're called to be salt and light. We've talked a lot about how, um, or I say we talked a lot about it. One of the things I think I mentioned in week one was that maybe the most missional thing that you can do on your action plan is walk your dog, right? And meet your neighbors, your your real neighbors that are right around you that are in need that we may not even be aware of. Um, But we hope it doesn't end there. We hope it starts there, but you begin to move in concentric circles outside of your comfort zone and outside of your neighborhoods because we have a big city with a lot of needs. JP shared some of those stats with you guys on Sunday, you know, but in terms of just poverty rate, I mean, um, it's been a, we've been able to serve on the mayor's task force dealing with poverty issues. And so I've heard Mayor Rawlings say we are the poorest, richest city in the country. 
like our pockets of, of poverty are more concentrated. You know, the gap is widening. And, and there's a lot of reasons, you know, around that. And, um, but, you know, when our growth rate is 5% and our poverty rate growth is 41%, all of a sudden, you know, that becomes something that we need to, we need to talk about. And it's been a real privilege to have churches at that table, you know, that the city views the church as a, as a huge resource, you know, for them. And so they're not serving subpoenas on us, you know, like they are in Houston, but there's actually a great working relationship for now. Um, so anyway, so this is what we do because we don't always live and work and play, you know, in West Dallas or South Dallas or Victory or Hamilton Park. We find really great ministries because, again, God is already at work in those places. We're not bringing God to that community. God's already at work. And so there are phenomenal organizations doing phenomenal work that it's gospel-centric, that's discipleship-focused. And so our job is really just to discern where God is working and then jump in. And so we've got some phenomenal um, ministry partners who do live and work and play in those communities and, um, and doing it well. And so we look for partners. Now, this is probably one of the key questions we get asked all the time is how do we select partners? So in real short order, we look for alignment of vision and mission. So are they gospel-centric discipleship? We look at trusted leadership. These organizations stand or fall on the quality of leadership and some of the ups and downs, sometimes there's a revolving door of leadership. We look for lay leaders. That's you, guys that will raise their hand and go, hey, I want to be the champion of this ministry and connect people. We look for opportunities for deployment. There's a lot of great money-raising organizations out there that we know and love. Council for Life is a great one. But there's not a lot of opportunities to deploy people. And we believe that, you know, treasure follows feet and feet, you know, uh, are the body of Christ. So we look for our deployment opportunities. Can we share our faith? Um, are we looking at, we're looking at impact, not just activity. Focus on developing people, not just relief. And so all these things that we've been talking about, we use. We actually do physically go through a process of evaluating all of our ministry partners and opportunities um, along with our core values, and we force rank them. And then we allow our partners to do that with us because we know we can be a little bit like dancing with the 800-pound gorilla here at Watermark. And so we like, to be, we like our partners to feel like they've got a trust relationship with us and they can share that, okay? So that's how we do it. Uh, and then we do that in real time. Okay, I didn't get my boxes all squared away on this slide. Um, so they're different sizes. Um, it's artistic. That's what I was going for there. So anyway, um, this is what we do. This is our sweet spot in terms of Watermark. And so all the ministry partners that you see on that sheet um, are going to be sorted under one of these impact areas. And so um, poverty is one of those. And so um, uh, that includes everything from our homeless ministry. I mean, we're doing regen, guys, at our calling, you know, with um, homeless folks. It's phenomenal. And then we're um, working with homeless folks in South Dallas, and we're, again, providing not just a prayer but a path. Like, how can we move people through that continuum of spiritual growth, discipleship, empowerment, biblical financial literacy, jobs, such that they can be, again, what God intended them to be? And so um, that's, that falls under poverty. We're looking at housing under there and a number of things. We do social businesses like Second Saturday and other type things, and then faith at work. Um, as we thought about just scaling that and allowing our business people, our business owners, to use their business as ministry and to hire people that are in a discipleship relationship with. Uh, and so, again, a quick story on that. So met a guy named Anthony. Um, I showed you all the video last time of Marvin and Andy. Marvin was at UGM, homeless, and now he travels the country because he's the head of quality control for a, a national pharmaceutical firm. It's, it's an amazing story. Another guy, though, that I met, his name was Anthony, um, walking through Watermark. 
And he, um, he just, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. He just knew I was the supporter of Second Saturday. And he, he, Todd Fields introduced me to him, and I'm talking to him. And I said, Anthony, tell me your story. And he said, it was not unlike Marvin. I mean, you know, he was a pretty successful guy. He got addicted to drugs. Um, he said, you know, I got addicted to drugs. I started dealing drugs. I was in and out of prison. Um, my wife left me. You know, my kids disrespected me. I mean, they wouldn't have anything to do with me. I ended up on a sofa at a friend's house. I got kicked out. I was on the streets. I was here in West Dallas. Uh, and Todd Fields, second Saturday, found me. Um, they brought me in. They, they gave me a job, a shot. You know, they began discipling me. And he said, and now, he goes, I know who I am in the Lord. I'm growing in my faith. My wife has been able to return to nursing school. You know, I'm, I've reconciled with my wife. My kids now, you know, are looking up to me. I'm, I'm now a producer I'm not a consumer, and, um, and I'm free, you know? And I'm like, golly, you know, what a great story of just the church being the church, and that's what we're called to do. And, you know, and that's what we strive to do is, you know, um, is generate a whole bunch of Anthonys and folks to, to love and shepherd Anthonys. So that's poverty. Um, education and mentoring. So if you look empirically, I'm kind of a data wonk. I love that stuff. And so not a lot of ministry is able to be tracked and measured, um, which is frustrating coming out of the business world sometimes. But mentoring and education and early childhood and literacy, um, we know that that moves the needle in terms of setting people up for success over the course of their lives. And so we spend a lot of time, even today, we spent hours down at Mercy Street talking about what's going on with the mentoring down there, how they're reaching kids, how they're engaging parents, how they're taking kids that have made it through the mentoring cycle and they're building into them to be leaders and mentors of other kids um, and, to be, and to return to that community and invest in that community. And so it's really phenomenal. So that's our school partnerships. So when JP mentioned Christy Lichtenberg, that's Cornerstone Academy. Um, and we have a public school partnership in West Dallas, um, Readers to Leaders, who birthed out of Watermark, faithful Watermark family that said, we can do something about literacy. And now they're running literacy programs in all the elementary schools in West Dallas and then a whole bunch more. And Superintendent Miles and others want to even expand that. So crazy what all is, is happening there. Justice which includes our lawyers, our, our, um, our legal professionals, and folks that are now bringing nuisance lawsuits against crack houses, abandoned properties in West Dallas, um, you know, that are used to deal drugs and, um, do prost- and prostitution, and they're able to bring nuisance lawsuits and get them shut down and turned over to you know, either faith-based affordable housing providers or we just tear them down completely. So working with neighborhoods through partners like ACT, uh, you know, and doing some of that kind of stuff. That also includes our prison ministry reentry as folks assimilate and move back in. Um, so that's justice. Families and health, which is pregnancy resource. Families are the cornerstone of the community. And I mean, even the secular folks who are who don't care a whit about God or the church, I'll sit with them and talk about you know moving the needle on poverty. And they talk about whole families. What they're talking about are strong marriages. And, uh, and just good relationship with kids. It just so happens we've got phenomenal marriage ministry going on. So how we're talking with, you know, the marriage ministry right now about how do we, you know, bring the good of what we've got and export it and, you know, and help the city really there from a gospel-centric perspective. So anyway, um, that also includes our clinic, which, again, you guys have heard, and we, we're, we're kind of blowing that up. They saw 4,000 folks come through their doors last year, and we're just going wow, we we got to figure out how to scale that. We're adding dental. We're needing a lot of help there. we got a lot of volunteers, which is really fun. And we want to be excellent at not just providing medical care, but also that discipleship and that evangelism. I mean, those are hurting folks um, in the most populated, dense 
most population-dense area of the city. So there's 90,000 people in a two-mile radius. We know most of those folks are unchurched. And so they're coming to Christ. They're getting connected into um, ministries um, here, and it's been really fun. So um, we're just thinking about that. Internationally, Rick might talk more about that, but everything from water wells to trade schools for ex-child soldiers to orphan care, I mean, all those sorts of things also fall in these buckets. And so we work, again, through indigenous local partners and churches um, to do that. So you can find more information about all that on our website. Um, some of that stuff is on your sheet of paper there. Um, our lay leaders, our, our contact information is on there, or our quad folds and some of the things we have back there. And now I'm going to turn it over to Rick. Thank you, guys. I'll take the clip. Okay. <laughs> How are you guys? Well, I've, uh, I'm sorry that I missed you two weeks ago. I, was, uh, I had the chance to take a team of a family team to Haiti. I may have told you when I taught the week before that. So it was really a fun trip because as we grow, um, we continue to expand. The, number, the people who go become further and further out of this circle that has been around since the very beginning. So the first trip I took down to Haiti in 2011, Kyle Kegler and I had no idea how to take you know, 45 parents and children to a place like Haiti. We had never attempted anything like that. We had done a bus deal down to Monterey once, and you start involving planes and islands and passports and third world countries that have just had an earthquake. It's a whole other set of animals. So we sort of picked a team out that time to experiment. 2013, I took my middle son, each of my sons when they were in fifth grade, and the experience was similar. We sort of had a mixed bag, but it was generally people that we knew because even as we advertised it, they tended to be the ones that responded. Well, this one was much more broad where uh, of the 30 or so folks that went, half of them, I didn't have any idea who they were until we started prepping for this team. And so you had folks from different walks of life and people who have a different experience of Watermark have not been here long. All of them have plugged in locally because that's where it all starts for us is you've got to be involved here. That's always that first question. What do you do in right here in Dallas before you tell me you care about somebody that lives in Haiti. Um, but it turned out to be this really amazing trip because I watched, uh, you know, a guy who was in his 60s who was with his wife and daughters who were very missionally minded, and he's just a successful business guy, loves Jesus, but has never really created that margin Jeff was talking about. And so I'm watching him share the gospel in, in Haiti in a way that he's never done here before because his daughter talked about, hey, Dad, it was so cool to see you, you know, with an 8, 9, 10-year-old Haitian kids sharing the gospel, taking this little track that we've created um, that used to be little. We had a Creole tract and an English tract, and we, we taped them together, and we go, this is great, but it's not very, uh, very efficient, so we had somebody create one for us, a company called Avantel, and so anybody can go in, and even if you don't have a translator, which is always a limitation, let me just, hey, read this as I'm talking, and so they'd read through it. So it was amazing to watch this guy get out of his comfort zone, watch another guy who's same sort of deal, a family you know, father with three daughters and a mom, and the mom and daughters are very missionally minded. Dad's kind of plugged in here, does things, but the family was really motivated by this chant. The daughters really motivated Dad to go and to watch them get outside that comfort zone and to do some things that you would never have seen them do. And so um, it was a really fun trip for me because of that fact. I got to see people that I didn't know that had been impacted by ministries here locally and now get a chance to go make that impact spread into other parts of the world. So and then last week, I actually would have missed as well because we have a ministry, a partnership in Africa called Alarm, which is our really, the when I started, that was our only partner. That's how Jeff and I got our, that's how we ended up here, frankly, is because we went to Congo 
to train lawyers in 2007, and you know, two trips later he was on staff. Five trips later I was on staff, and uh, now it's you know it's kind of blown up. But they had a, an opportunity to just to bring their whole staff together, which they've never done in 20 years of ministry. And these are people that serve in eight countries in Central Africa. That generally all of them at some point in time in any given year has some sort of war, famine, um, you name it, going on. And so these staffs are just constantly under stress and strain. And Watermark and a couple of other churches partnered to bring this whole staff together to Nairobi. And so I got to go and spend a week with them. We had a region team come in and do, we called it speed gen. So instead of 12 months, we did it in 12 hours. Um, had to go through a recovery program. It was, you know, they've never had, no one's ever come in and said, hey, here's what, here's what it looks like to really be transparent and to go through a recovery process and to do an inventory and so to watch other ministries from Watermark come alongside and just bless guys on the ground and to watch them, you know, the folks in Africa that we've had a chance to serve alongside, um, just be blessed because you guys have been generous so we could give them a chance just to have a retreat, really. Uh, and for me, strategically, it gave me a chance to spend time with a bunch of ministry leaders from these different countries. Um, but, of course, the ice storm hit. My family was locked down, and my wife was like, of all weeks for you to be gone. This is the week that you're gone. So, um, so week five, when I've taught this in the past in the Hope Lives class, it really is this sort of practical chance for us. And, you know, our goal is to, uh, is to really just leave you with something to go, hey, if, if all we do is give you a bunch of theory, you know, even if we answer the question, and I'll pose it in just a second, what do you do with the guy on the corner? But we don't leave you with anything, you know, any sort of follow-up steps, as Jeff said then we really missed an opportunity to disciple you guys um, the way that others have discipled us because that's really all we're doing is passing along what's been poured into us over the past, you know, 10, 12 years around here. So, um, you know, we started out with this class. It's God's perspective on helping others, the priest and the Levite versus the Samaritan. Um, You know, so the goal of this class was to understand the story of the Good Samaritan and how it applies to us today. And, if, you know, if you missed JP yesterday, I text Jeff about halfway through, and I go, well, I don't, we didn't need to teach the class. Like, we could have just rolled tape on JP for five straight weeks, and everybody would have been fine with that. And he's a whole lot more interesting to listen to and much more creative on stage than we are. But it was a great just to walk through all these ideas that we talked about early on in the story of the Good Samaritan, of who they, who's the Samaritan, who are the priest and the Levite, what's the, you know, sort of the cultural background on this story. And, you know, he talked a ton about, you know, Christ wasn't just picking random names out the way we would name people in a story that we're telling to my kids. I mean, these were specific. He knew the, the disdain, the racism that went on between Samaritans and priests and Levites and how the, you know, the, the, the priest is following the Levite. The Levites are the ones that were the closest to God. And, um, and so this process of um, what that looked like was such a big deal, and the way J.P. described it was really great. But, you know, again, we want to leave you with next steps coming out of this. Um, because that's the goal of the class, is not just to, to have information, but transformation. Uh, and so when we even named the class, we said Modern Day Samaritan, and the first slide says a watermark approach to uh, impacting poverty and your next steps. And I, I, that didn't, did not even dawn on me till today that we had put a watermark approach to impacting poverty and your next steps. And so if you don't listen to, if you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, understand that that should say, and it does say now, a biblical approach. Because if we're trying to sell Watermark's approach, then man, don't listen to us. You know, when I go to Africa, I'll have a chance to go teach, and we'll bring, everywhere we go, we bring Bibles. So if we're going to go to teach pastors and living in northern Uganda, 
who do not speak English, um, our ministry partner there will find a Bible in their language uh, and make sure that they get it. And when we walk in, these are pastors that typically become pastors because what they have is a compassion. You know, they, people look at them and go, man, you really love people the way Jesus loves people. Why don't you be a preacher for us? And so the next thing you know, they're under a shade tree with 20 people. Well, they're not equipped for that. They're just a little bit ahead of the people that they're serving. And so we'll bring Bibles in, and they will just explode with this idea that we've brought Scripture to them for the first time ever. They're not passing around articles or pieces of paper with Scripture on it. They get a whole Bible. And one of the things I stand up and say right out of the box is, look, here's what you need to know. We're going to teach you for four days. And any time you hear me or one of the guys on my team say, I think or I believe or this is what maybe the answer should be, I want you to raise your hand and go, we don't care what you think. We want to know what the Bible says. And so that's the same thing for you guys. So that's a miss for us that we never even caught that because it isn't a watermark approach. And it's not, you, you understand, I, I'm speaking almost exaggerated way. But we want you to understand, I mean, these are God's principles. These are not watermark principles. This is what we think as we go through Scripture. This is what we think God wants us to do, how we are supposed to approach, you know, the, the issue of poverty and how to love people in a, in a way that reflects how God wants us to do that. But it's also how we deploy you guys as we tell you, hey, the answer is not to go give the guy a handout, but to figure out a way to give him a hand up. And so um, very quickly, I, I do want to pose that question because we talked about this early on. You know, we talked about Trish and Sam. They were a little hypothetical couple. And when I taught that second week, I said, hey, who, would, who in here would, would just hand him some money? You know, and there was one guy, I don't remember who it was, but he was sitting right here, and he said, I'll be honest, I would probably just give him some money. You know, that's, that's the easy thing to do. And I, and I think I relayed to you guys, like, the day before that, I had been in the car, and I'd had a gal come up to my car really quickly and asking for money. She's like, oh, my car's broken down. Can you help me get my kids to, I need gas money. Can I get my kids to Waxahachie? And um, when I reached, I, I, you know, my kids were all in the car with me, and I said, hey, hand me the bag. And so... I handed her this bag with two water bottles and a couple of things of socks and a McDonald's gift card, and her countenance completely changed. And she's like, that's what you're giving me? And I go, well, yeah. You know, it's got a watermark card in there, and it's got a, a scripture card in it as well. And we're, we're in the middle of Northwest Highway at an intersection. It's not like I can engage her in conversation. And my sons all talked about how this lady went from this smiling, hey, can you help me out, to that's what you're giving me, and just ran off. You know, she took the bag, but she just ran off. And so it was a great conversation with my kids about what do we do with that person? And so I think we'd be remiss if we don't go, hey, someone, someone help everybody in the class know. The next time you're at the street corner up here, and if you hit Coit and LBJ at the right time, you'll find the guy. I, I can promise you if you go to Skillman and LBJ behind the clinic, there's a dude who's been there for 20 years because I've been seeing him for 20 years. So what do you do with that? What is your response to that guy on the corner? Anybody? What's the next? I, I, uh, the other day I was driving to Uh-huh. And gave her the sack and couldn't understand 
she couldn't go with us or, you know. And, uh, and then we left, and I started feeling, because it was freezing. It was a day it was like ice cold. I went and found her. I went back and found her sitting by the dumpster eating, just eating the food I gave her. But she wouldn't leave because she said her husband would come back for her now. Yeah. But even, but even that small, so that's great. So if you didn't hear what she said, she said she, she'd run across this woman who appeared to be of Middle Eastern descent, was on the side of the road, was asking for help in, in the cold weather last week. And so her initial response was to not do anything. And then she ended up going to, to Target, getting some food, bringing it back. And then she gave it to the woman. And then she went back again and found her eating this stuff by a dumpster. And so, I, you know, there's a language barrier. So obviously there's limitations to what you can do. But... I would tell you what you at least did was you built some relationship. The fact that you came back a second time for her is a model of how Christ continues to pursue us. And so, you know, my addition always, hey, you know, have a watermark trifold in your deal or have a, you know, a card with a gospel in it or something. So something to give her a connection to go, hey, here's how you can get hold of, of the church or here's how you can get hold of me. And I know that's scary to go, hey, would you, here's my phone number, would you, you know, or my email. Um, but maybe that's the answer. And you've got to use discernment with that. But, but I love the fact that you went back and you tried to build it. That's a whole lot different than just, here's $2, let me move on down the road. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yes, sir. Back in the back. Yeah, yeah, and that's, so it gets back to those things Jeff talked about. Okay, what's your margin? You know, we're always in a rush to get where we go. And so what's our ability to stop and say, hey, would I stop if that guy was my friend? JP told the story yesterday of seeing somebody's car on the side of the road, and he's like, I, you know, he ended up stopping to help the guy. But he goes, it, it dawned on me, if it was my friend, I know I would have stopped. If I knew the guy, I would absolutely stop because I have a relationship with him. If it was a stranger, I at least have to stop in my mind and go, well, do I have time? I'm in a hurry. I've got a lunch. I don't want to inconvenience somebody else. Well, maybe that's just what God wanted you to do is to have that sort of divine appointment with someone. Um, and what happens, and this gets back to the paternalism deal, is you know, so often with us, um, if you're not looking at this through a biblical approach, your answer is, well, I'm going I'm to give them two bucks, and I've, they feel better. They've got $2, and who knows what they're going to do with it. Maybe they're going to buy food. Maybe she would have gone and bought peanut butter, or maybe she would have gone out and bought a 40-ounce bottle of beer. Um, but the other side of that equation is it doesn't transform us at all other than we have that sort of paternalistic, as I say, don't, you know, don't separate your shoulder, patting yourself on the back for doing something nice for somebody. Um, but that's about as easy, nice as you can get is to roll down the window and hand somebody $2. And, you know, and that's where the story of the Good Samaritan is such a perfect model. Uh, you know, I, most people, when I tell the story, I go, most people today would, would want to throw a 10 spot They'd be better than the Levite and the priest, so they'd toss a $10 bill down on the guy, but they wouldn't want to stop. 
You know, they might not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cross the road this way. I'd go right up to them, and I'd go, hey, here's, here's $10. Let me help you out. But, I, you know, I've got I to take the kids to soccer, and off I go. Versus a Samaritan who inconvenienced himself, you know, not just then, but later on he, he promised to come back and take care of any bills the innkeeper had and make sure the guy was okay. And that's that relationship part that God's looking for, I think. So um, I'm gonna, that's, those, that's what we're hoping is that you guys come out of this thing with a sense, this class with a sense of, now I know how to answer that question. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this video. I've got about a seven-minute video in it because Jeff used up all my time. Um, never, ever, ever follow Jeff Ward or Todd Wagner. Um, ever, if you really have anything going on. So, anyway. Um, I'm kidding. I, so it's a, the video is, I'll summarize it for you. So Missy and David Williams, if you were here a couple of years ago, we did an international focus on our Act to Impact Sunday. So the thing that we did back in late January, right before this. Missy and David Williams started a ministry called Seed Effect. And it was because, you know, they were actively involved at Watermark. They were pursuing Christ. And they had a chance, they got invited to go on a trip to, to South Sudan with a ministry organization that, that I, don't, I didn't even know anything about then. I was on staff. And out of that, when they were on this trip, they heard this lady asked about, hey, if you, you know, a sewing machine could really chan- transform things for us. We could do a, a microfinance deal. If we had a sewing machine, we could make products, we could sell those, I could hire other people. And so they started having this conversation about what would it look like to do that? What is the right way to do it? And walk through some of the steps that Jeff's talked about. And at the end of the day, the punchline of their video, which is really the punchline for you guys, is Missy will say, look, this all started because of one single yes. You know, it, it starts with a single yes. And that's what it is for most of us. You know, Jeff and I are here because they asked us to go to Congo. And we're like, I don't really think I want to go to Congo. But, okay, we're going to say yes to that. And then the next thing you know, a series of yeses have led to all sorts of, you know, tr- strange paths in our lives. Most of you, I would say, shouldn't come try to be on staff, shouldn't say yes to that, pursue that opportunity. Your yes is, what's going to happen in my life right now where I get to say yes to it? You know, what are the steps I'm taking today to allow me to say yes? And so that's where Missy and David did, is they, you know, they were early on in their marriage. They had some margin, but they had made choices that allowed them to have bandwidth, though they could say yes. And so that's their story. Um, you can go out and look at the service from January of 2013 and see the whole video. There's way too much of me on it, but I was trying to just show them. Um, but anyway, it, it's a great story. Of just that's how, that's how ministry starts, is a single yes. Somebody, Stephanie Schweinfurth um, and Todd Fields just said yes. You know, Jeff talks about Todd and how he's, Second Saturday is this huge blow-up organization now. Well, what Jeff didn't say is, you know what Todd was six years ago? Six years ago? Todd was an insurance executive with Nationwide. And so he just liked to build stuff. And so he started working on Saturday with some other guys, helping, I think, five other guys. They were helping some folks on Saturdays do volunteer work. And they were doing it as a ministry opportunity and a gospel opportunity. And it just kept sort of growing. And one day, you know, 150 people show up. And they're like, what the heck am I going to do with this? And at some point, it got so big, he had to start his own 501c3, quit his job, um, and, and... Second Saturday is what he does for a living now. You know, and there's a, you know, not unlike being a lawyer and working at Watermark, there's a difference between working as an insurance executive and running your own 501c3. Um, But Todd said yes. Stephanie Swineforth um, is a gal who just had this passion for kids in West Dallas. And, you know, her kids were, were in junior high and high school, and so she started, she's been around early, early days of Watermark, and she's about 
this tall, maybe, if she's lucky. She's about four foot eleven. And Stephanie would just go to West Dallas, and she started loving on kids and building this relationship at CF Carr with teachers and with the principals. And so out of that's come this whole crazy relationship um, in West Dallas that began because Stephanie said yes to just this little ask of, hey, could you help do some stuff with our teachers over here? Uh, and so that's really the question for you guys is, you know, what are you going to say yes to? Um, and so let's just talk real practically in the little time I've got left here. You know, find your place to serve. What does that look like? You know, easy first step, man. Just pray God would reveal to you um, where he might call you to serve and how. You know, don't just jump in um, and serve to be serving. And so let me back up for just a sec. Some of you guys may already be deeply involved in stuff. And so, you know, we teach this class. We're, we're, we're learning as we go through this. And so we're, we're trying to answer that question of the Samaritan issue. But we also want to make sure we leave people with a, with a plan as they walk out of here. So if you're already deeply involved, keep going. And hopefully you'll be sharpened by what I'm going to talk about in the next 20 minutes. Um, but but I want to, it's important for us to make sure that people understand this is how this begins. That yes starts with just pray. Man, God, what do you want me to do? The second one is understand how God's made you. You know, Jeff talked about, I've got this passion for justice. I had this deal. And I'd never given any thought to the idea there was some way to deploy myself um, with my passion for, for church and missions and my passion for justice and law. Like, it had never dawned on me. And what we've discovered is we're really unique as a church. Like I, I've, I met with some lawyer, a, a pastor from Nashville this week who was in Nairobi with me, and I went and visited that church when I was still practicing law to try to get this lawyer's group started. And they've got a bunch of lawyers. Their problem is they don't have anything to do with those lawyers. They've never figured out an act or, um, or something like that to get those guys plugged into. And they've also never had anybody come up and just say, yes, I'll be in charge. And so figure out what, what are you passionate about? What are your interests? What are your strengths and your gifts? If you're a, a neurosurgeon, maybe ice cream cones are the right thing to do. But, man, how much better would it be to go, well, let's see what I can do to use my medical deal. Maybe it's not, you know, you can't do neurosurgery out of the back of a truck in West Dallas. Uh, you could in West Africa, but not in West Dallas. Um, but maybe it's, you know, somehow you take your, your medical background and you use it in a way that's completely um, unexpected. And, and so that's what you do. What are, what are the things you're passionate about? What are you interested in? Because if you love it, you're going to want to go do it. If you love kids, then coaching a Little League team in, in, with Mercy Street West Dallas is going to be a blast. If you hate baseball and you're not a big fan of kids, that would be, that would be a daily torture for you. Uh, and so find what, you're, what do you care deeply about and go seek those ministry deals out. Um, start somewhere. Don't, you know, be proactive. So many people just, they can't figure out what the perfect thing to do is, so they don't do anything at all. And so be proactive. Um, consider every opportunity to serve that's in your world. Um, look for the obvious as well as the interesting. And so that, you know, that's the, the first week I taught. I, I sit up here and go, look, stand at the front door of your house and look 180 degrees around and go, what might I be able to do for these six houses that I can see? You know, what might God call me to do? It, it may be the widow across the street who has no family left. Um, you know, the guy next door. Ye- yesterday, my, my old, youngest son got a chance to serve Mr. Coons, who lives next door to us, because I got a text from his daughter at 7 o'clock. Please go have one of your sons get the newspaper for my dad. He just had a heart procedure, and he's not supposed to be walking outside in the rain and the cold and the ice. And so I send Ben out. Of course, Mr. Coons had already broken the rules, had gone and gotten his newspaper. Um, 
But that was that obvious thing. It wasn't very interesting to them, but it led to a great conversation with my 11-year-old son. Um, start local and consider international. You know, I love deploying people overseas because it does give you a different perspective. You know, if you want to talk to somebody who's got great experience, Tammy's been 10 times more places than I have. Um, it's amazing. Tammy Fabian's got a great story, uh, multiple great stories. Um, and so it can be really, really catalytic, but it always starts right here for us. You know, we're not going to launch you overseas if you're not already launching at Watermark, in the city, in your area. Um, and then just let us help you. You know, that's what all this other stuff is about. We've vetted all these partners. You know, Jeff said there's 20,000 nonprofits in Dallas. I mean, that's a crazy number, 20,000 nonprofits in the Metroplex. And out of those 20,000, um, Jeff, through this vetting process that our team uses, has chosen 20. And that'll change every year. Every year we evaluate. We've got this matrix that we sort of developed. Does it fit all those criteria that Jeff laid out? And so every year as you look at the website, you'll see this updated list uh, at watermark.org slash impact. And this stuff's in here in the further down. But those ministries are, you know, this is broken down by the different ministry areas. What are the things you care about? What are the things you're passionate about? It's got a description of all of those. Um, you know, days of the week that you can do it. Second Saturday literally means second Saturday of every month. That's, that's when they go to work is second Saturday of every month. Uh, you know, there's high seasons and low seasons, brother bills, all those kind of deals. And so, you know, local EF, um, use this as a tool and then continue to go back to it. Um, because every year we're going to vet them and go, hey, this, these guys have kind of drifted off course. You know, where we were really aligned three years ago on values and vision and mission I mean, they've kind of, they've had a leadership change or they've sort of gotten out of the core values that we, that attracted us to us. And we've, we've moved away from those guys or they've moved away from us or there's no lay leader for them. You know, we have ministries that have somebody who's a, carries that standard as a bell cow, so to speak, for that ministry for several years. And then they step out and then there may, may not be someone in that, in that position. So one of the things we challenge people to do is who's your Timothy? You know, you're Paul, if you're the lay leader, who's the guy you're bringing along beside you so that you're not carrying that load alone? Internationally, um, we've got four main partners in, in um, Elam and E3 and Alarm and Mission of Hope Haiti. And then we've got actually families serving overseas long term. We're working on finally deploying a sending track. So if someone says, hey, I want to go serve overseas, I think God's calling me to go live, you know, three, five forever years overseas. Um, you know, we want to walk through that process of, of analysis and understanding that you're gifted enough for that or that's the right thing for you to do. And who to go with and where to go, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I want to finish up with a couple of real practical things. And so Jeff said, hey, we want, to, we want you to think about this right now. And so I, there's a, Tony Dungy's a, a football coach who I, I really admire. He's written a, a couple of great books as a believer. And he has this one phrase I love. And he says, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And so you can, have, you can leave here and go, man, my goal is to go get involved and to go do something and change the world in my neighborhood and around West Dallas or South Dallas or whatever. But if you don't develop a plan on how to do it, what well, just turns into a wish? It's like my kid saying yesterday, I really want to learn how to play the guitar. Well, we don't own a guitar. I don't know how to play one either, and you don't have any lessons. Like, you don't have a plan for how to do that. That's just your wish. I want to be a guitar player. And so I want to give you... Um, five minutes or so just to walk through this thing and just look at it fill it out now if you can it's, it's the handout that separately that we gave you when you walked in uh, and say hey here's you know here's the things that I care about 
You know, the first one is, what are my three spiritual gifts? If you haven't done that, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a member here, you should have gone through the shape evaluation. If you haven't, you can go online and do the shape evaluation, and it really will help you understand it. S-H-A-P-E, what are your spiritual gifts? And it's amazing. These tests, you know, that, strength finder, something are great at identifying kind of your gift set and help that shape where you want to be deployed. And then the next one's, you know, what are my top three skills and strengths? And then the next one's, what am I passionate about? Uh, and then it's external ministries that I'm already involved in or that I'm interested in. And then here's my next step. So I'm going to give you guys five minutes because um, I'm going to make sure we get you guys out of here by 8 o'clock. So um, take five minutes and do that, and then we'll wrap up real quickly. All right. Just in an effort to be sure we get you guys out of here on time. And, you know, my encouragement to you is, you know, make this a work in progress. You know, use that as a starting place document. Um, it really is interesting, as Jeff said, when you put stuff down on paper, how much more real it becomes, and then you start to go, okay, how do I execute on this plan that I've developed? Um, or even just to have an understanding of yourself, and you feel like, man, I'm struggling to understand how to answer some of these. What are my strengths and weaknesses? Those are great things to sit around with community and go, where do you guys see that maybe my gift set um, could be deployed? You know, and as a 51-year-old guy, I'm fairly clear on what those, my limitations are and where I have some areas I can excel. As a 31-year-old guy, I'm not sure I had that. Certainly as a 21-year-old guy, I was deluded as to what I was gifted at. So, um, you know, so let people who, who know you well come around you and, and help sharpen you in that process. You go, where do you see my strengths and my gifts um, that I might be able to deploy somewhere? And then use the resources we've got to help do that. And so I just want to close out. This is stuff is, again, all on your slides. You know, these are the things you need to watch. So if you're ever curious, hey, what's going on? What are the new partners? I'm, I'd love to plug in somewhere else. That's all, generally, that's always going to pop up on watermark.org slash impact. You know, if you're curious to follow what's, what are we doing, we're always telling stories. We've, just, we've really discovered that, you know, one of the gifts we can provide to the body is just stories of what's going on. Where's life change happening? Uh, and so you'll, you'll, every week or so, you'll have a blog entry from us about, it may be as simple as, hey, why did we build 40 water wells in Africa? What's the value of those other than the obvious people have clean water? How are those being used as discipleship? Or it may be, here's a story about a, a mentor and a mentee in West Dallas, or Christy Lichtenberg at South Dallas was a story a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you're curious what we're doing overseas, watermark.org slash international, there's always going to be information about, you know, blogs, stuff that's going on in terms of trips that are currently running. So um, if you look at, you click on the Haiti blog or the, uh, right now you can see what the Haiti teams are doing. And it's not, hey, today we got up at eight and we had rice and beans. It's, Here's a story of transformation today. When I was there two weeks ago, maybe the single coolest story I've ever had come out of Haiti is we, you know, Haiti had a huge earthquake in 2011, uh, excuse me, 2010. Um, tons and tons, you know, thousands and thousands of people lost limbs, were left crippled. And so we bring along uh, 11-year-old Owen Lakey, who's grown up at Watermark. His dad's a good friend of mine who has spina bifida. So Owen's been in a wheelchair since he was born. He will always be in a wheelchair. His legs, you know, there's a, it's a, Basically, it's a disease that where you never develop from the waist down. And so here's this kid in this wheelchair, and we had no idea how this would play out. We, you know, Eric and I talked about it, and we contacted the Mission of Hope folks, and they're like, well, we've, we've never really had a, this happen before. We, we don't remember having a child like this, but we'll figure out how to make it happen. And so the star of our trip became this 11-year-old boy in his wheelchair because the kids from Haiti were amazed to see an American that had a handicap, because in their culture, handicapped people are just sort of tossed to the side. They don't have value. And not only was he 
was he valued? He was served by everybody around him. You know, his dad carries him off the bus every day where they might have to drag themselves around. His dad carried him off the bus. Um, our team or the Haitian staff were always pulling the wheelchair out. And the next thing you know, these Haitian kids that were around are all, they can't, everybody's fighting to push, you know, Owen's wheelchair around uh, in these very, this very rough terrain. And then they want to sit in his lap. And then Owen uses it as this, I mean, Eric, excuse me, his dad uses it as this amazing story of the gospel. Hey, Owen, you know, you know, what's it like being in a wheelchair? And you just see Owen light up. He goes, you know, it's not really much fun. I kinda, it kind of sucks, really. Um, were you there because your parents did something wrong? Maybe did someone in your family sin? Because a lot of that sort of messed up theology that you hear the Pharisees talking about is what goes on in Haiti. No, that, that's not anything my dad did or my grandparents. What about you? Did you do something and God's punished you? No. Do you have a joy and a hope? And he goes, yeah, I know one day I'm going to run and play with my friends in heaven. That's my joy and my hope. But until then, I'm going to be faithful where God's got me. And, I mean, it really was amazing to watch people just gravitate towards this kid who here would always sort of, not, not because people pushed into the back, but his personality is one that sort of, he just sort of recedes to the side. He's not super confident. He's learning to be more assertive. But there, this, this like God just sort of lit him up. You know, and so those kind of stories are what you're going to read about what are we getting to do overseas uh, and then if you've got something you want to talk to us about, external focus at watermark.org. Somebody will get back to you. That goes to, I think all of us get those emails. And so somebody will get back to you. And that may be, hey, I'd just love to talk about this ministry idea that I have. Or uh, we're involved in this ministry and, and we'd love to do more. Or we're seeing something we're concerned about. I mean, whatever that is, I mean, that's what we exist for is to help Ephesians 4.12 equip the church. That's our goal. And not to be the church, to equip the church. Because as Jeff said, you guys are the church. Uh, and then just some resources for you. If you really want to hear the answer to the what to do with the man on the corner, I think I teased this the first week. Jeff did a brown bag lunch. It's just a great audio deal of, hey, here's how you handle this. Here's, how I would, here's all the steps I would take. Um, Act to Impact from two years ago. Todd did a great thing on reclaiming the missions word. Um, and then let there be light. That's what JP's working on right now. Um, and then some, another active impact deal, and then a, a video of me interviewing a guy for Haiti. And those are all just great resources. Uh, there's, a, there's lots of other ones out there, but those are the, some of the ones that we had on our list. Uh, and then book-wise, you know, The Hole in Our Gospel was a transformational book for me just because it resonated as I was trying to figure out whether to come on staff or not. We have pretty much anybody who goes overseas is going to read those first two books, The Hole in Our Gospel and When Helping Hurts. And as you can, if you read, if you, if you have kept up with the reading and When Helping Hurts, you can tell... And everything we do has really been informed by those guys, and we believe strongly that that is God's, the right approach that God would have us to do. Get off your donkey is just a wonderful metaphor for what we really ought to all be doing. So, uh, and it's a really cool book, um, just about getting in the game. You know, Radical is a David Platt's book about um, just, just living life crazy in a radical way. Um, crazy love is, is Francis Chan, the whole idea that like, if you're a believer, you, you ought to question whether or not you're a believer. You know, Jeff talks about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I used to tell it, I had, I had fire insurance for most of my life. Like, I knew, I, I could tell you Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I didn't even know Ephesians 2, 10 existed. That if I was a follower of Christ, if I professed Christ and the Holy Spirit was in my life, then inevitably Ephesians 2, 10 should be going on. I should be deploying my gifts in a way that God is honored by and people are drawn to the gospel. Um, and that's Francis Chan, whole book. And then, Anything that Piper writes is going to be good stuff. Uh, and so, Modern Day Samaritan, Watermark's approach to poverty. Um, 
and your next steps, which we hope, you know, as Jeff pointed out, that was an intentional deal. So forgive me for not an information transfer for us. Um, we're grateful you guys did it. You're going to get a, uh, a questionnaire from Angie Mosier, who coordinates for the equipping class. As we told you week one, you, you guys are our guinea pigs. Um, and so we literally were changing some of the content of this today at 4 o'clock. We were, Jeff and I were going back and forth, what about this, what about that? And so we really, man, it will be so valuable for us if you guys will take the five minutes that it will take to fill this little questionnaire that Angie's going to email you out. That will bless us. We do not need to be affirmed. We are both egotistical enough that if you tell us we're terrible, we'll still somehow interpret that as a good thing. Uh, and so, so tell us honestly, what would you have us, you know, what would you do different? Did you, did you like the premise of the course? Did you like the way we sequenced it? You know, should one of us retire from teaching, never come back on stage again? You know, wh- whatever it is, we, we really do want that sort of raw feedback because we want this to be, you know, something we do consistently and it'll be better every time if we hear from people who've been through it. Hey, the $2 challenge was great, or that was terrible. Um, that was ineffective for me and my family, or it was really, you know, all in, anything in there. And if there's not a question for it, but you feel like God's really laid some comment on your, mind, your heart, share it anyway. Yes, ma'am. Uh, if I was in charge of the boxes, they would be bigger because I can't see anything small. So, um, you know, what I would say is if, if you feel like, hey, there's not enough in that for us, external focus at watermark.org. Send us an email. It's in, your, it's in your stuff. Hey, here's what I put on the paper, but I'd love to add these five other things to it. Just to email. So I was in your core class. Here's my name. Because if, you, if you've got critical comments, we want to follow up. We want to know context. If you've got affirmation, that's certainly, it's always great to be affirmed. Um, but we really do want this to be excellent. And then the other thing I would say to you guys is we'll offer this again probably in the fall or in the, in the winter again. It's, it's, this is a, we have lots of moving parts uh, around core classes. But, you know, if you see it's advertised, if you see it in the Watermark News, be our ambassadors for it. You know, if you think it was a valuable class, then, you know, tell your community, hey, you guys ought to check that class out. And that's not, again, so we can be affirmed by having 100 people in the room. That's because we think this is material that can transform our body, continue to grow and equip us in a way that makes us um, reflect Christ more and more and more. So um, we are grateful for you. Let me pray real quick, and then um, we'll let you guys get out of here. So, Father, thank you so much for just the faithfulness of the folks in this room, Lord. Um, We are just grateful that you give us a chance as a staff to get to serve um, them, Lord, and to help equip them to go and be the church in a way that reflects how you have called us to to live, Lord. And so I pray for every person here, Lord, that as they, if they're on mission already, if they are fully engaged in serving, then I pray they continue to do that deeper, that they look at every, uh, every chance they have as they serve, Lord, as a chance to, to tell the why behind the what, um, and, and that they go deeper with you, Lord. I pray for those folks who may be trying to, to figure it out. I pray, Father, that they take that action plan and then they act on it, that they let community inform them around it, that they um, prayerfully consider what you would have them to do And then they just go and deploy, Lord, because we know you are honored, uh, as your word tells us over and over again in in Matthew, you know, how we care for the least of these is is an example of how we love you, Lord. And so I pray that all of these folks look for every opportunity to love on the least of these. And then I pray that they look for opportunities to go deeper and deeper with anyone that God's put in their life, from the person that lives right around the corner from them across the street, um, the person in West Dallas, and the person on the other side of the earth. And so we, uh, we pray... Um, that that is how this class ends, Lord. We are grateful for your word that instructs us and informs us. 
And so we don't have to guess how you would have us to love the world, but you show it to us clearly in um, passages like the Good Samaritan. And so we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you all so much.